Heaven in your home, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 to 33, if you follow along as I read. Wives, submit your own, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, so also Christ is head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the, by the word, that he might present him, her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. Who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. May the Lord continue to add his blessings to the word. Often, uh, this text focuses on the verses that have to do with wives submit, which is a, a great text for beating up the wives, put it that way. <laughs> There's understanding and things that come along with that. But rather, I believe, the emphasis of the text is the marriage relationship between the husbands or the husband and wife. It is used to picture the union between Christ and his bride. Now, if you look down again at verse 32, this is a great mystery. I mean, the, the point of this whole passage is this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Again, the marriage relationship between husband and wife is used to picture the union between Christ and his bride. Let me just say this, anytime I uh, speak on parenting or on being a husband, the impression sometimes is, well, you, you're the pastor, you must be perfect, uh, you have uh, figured all this out, and I figured out some things. Let's put it that way. Definitely not perfect. It's a work in progress. People ask me, says, what kind of marriage do you have? We have a good marriage. We work at it every day. Uh, so when, when I talk about here, when we relate some of these things, uh, as we look at the love of, the, of Christ for the church, we're going to make, make the application, of course, to the responsibility of husbands, because that's the picture that goes back and forth within this text. Uh, so as husbands, as fathers, uh, indeed, there's a great responsibility that goes along with this uh, in this text. The husband is to make Christ's love for the church the pattern or loving his wife. There's two questions I think that, as we look at these verses, what are the characteristics of Christ's love for his church? Okay, we, want to, we want to find out what are the characteristics of Christ's love for the church? What kind of love should a husband have for his wife? Obviously then, if they're making that connection, if this is a picture that's taking place, then Christ's love for the church is going to be a reflection of our love that we're supposed to have towards our wife. Again, three times in the passage there, he says, husbands love your wife, husbands love your own wife. I always thought that was interesting. He didn't say love somebody else's wife. He said love your own wife. In fact, that's a command. It's not an option. Like, well, I'll have to pray about that. No, you don't. You love your own wife, okay, not somebody else's wife. The first thing we see in verse 25 is sacrificial love. 
Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now that's a reinforcement of what already took place in verse 23. Wives, I'm sorry, uh, verse 23. For husbands, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, and he is savior of the body. There's a sacrificial love, as, as even as Christ gave himself for her, for the church. Now we've, we've looked at this several times. I, I hope that at some point in time you've got this memorized finally. We've, we put this up there. By the way, I apologize. Some of the, the screen you're not going to be able to see unless you're sitting way in the back. So I'll try to read some of the things that get toward, towards the bottom there. Uh, agape, love, love, this is agape love. Uh, there's agape filial. Those are the two types of love in the scriptures. This is agape love. Love is the self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good for the one loved. This is the same type of love that God gave towards the world. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. This is agape love. This, is a, this love is a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good for the one love. So obviously, I think anyway, husbands, it is a self-sacrificing love, a caring commitment that shows itself by seeking the highest good of your wife, of the one love. The world's love in marriage relationship, is object-oriented. In other words, if I consider you worthy of being loved, are you pretty enough? Are you witty enough? Do you have a great personality? Do you have a lot of prestige? You know, a lot of you know, people recognize your abilities. Well, what if you lose your looks? What if you're incapacitated because of health needs or issues? Are you, do you still love her? See, the world's love is, is object-oriented. And, and again, our society, our world, our, our, our United States, our culture is saturated with looks when we ought to be looking at their spiritual character. That's true beauty, even as it talks about in Proverbs 31. The God's love is Christ-focused, Romans 5.8. But God commendeth his love towards us in that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. Philippians 2, verses 5 to 8. A great reminder, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of man. He humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Let this mind be in you. What mind? Christ-centered. Christ-focused. The world's love is conditional. Well, you know what a condition is. I will if you will. I will love you if you... Conditional. God's love is unconditional. Regardless of the response, he loved us. He loved the whole world, even if the world did not love him return. Even as it says there in Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love towards us in the while we're yet sinners. Even though we were sinners, even though we continually missed the mark, he sent his son to die on the cross. That's God's love. It's unconditional. The world's love is self-indulged, indulgent. It's all about me, our narcissistic society. And it's never my fault. Where God's love is self-sacrificing. You just give to give. As I've, I've quoted that poem many times. Love ever gives, forgives, outlives, and ever stands with open hands. For while it lives, it gives and while it gives, it lives, and this is love's prerogative, 
to give and give and give. See, God's love is self-giving. The world's love is fickle. Can't quite make up its mind. It's on a roller coaster. It's love based on feeling. It's love based on attractiveness. It comes and goes. But God's love is commanded. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. Verse 28, so husbands ought to love their own wives. Then in verse 33, nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself. It's commanded. Love your wife. There's an exercise of your will to live in obedience to the scriptures, to love your wife. The Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. He expressed his love for the man who was broken and robbed. It was based on his generous character and the man's need. As you remember the, the parable of the story there that Jesus told, there was a very wealthy man, a rich man, who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way, robbers set upon him. They beat him and they robbed him. A priest came by, looked at him, walked on the other side. A Levite came, another, another religious leader came and looked at him, walked on the other side. And then this Samaritan, and you have to remember, the, the Samaritans and the Jews, they hated each other. They didn't interact with each other socially or by accident. The Samaritan came along, saw this Jewish man who had been robbed and beaten, and he stopped and helped him. Based on what? His own character and the man's need. Jesus, in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, he was washing the disciples' feet. Now that night in which he washed the disciples' feet, that's the night that he gave and instituted the Lord's Supper. That was the night that he identified Judas as his betrayer. That was the night that he was betrayed in the garden. That was the night in which the trials began. That same night was the night he washed the disciples' feet. And by the way, it's kind of interesting, Judas was part of that group that he washed their feet with, or that he washed their feet. Jesus, washing the disciples' feet, he wanted to demonstrate to them his love and his desire to serve them, not because they deserved it. Did Judas deserve it? Absolutely not. Did Jesus know what Judas was going to do? Yes. Did he deserve it? No. In spite of, and again, as you think of the disciples, they, their, their arrogance, their selfishness, their pride, their self-indulgence, their jealousy, their, their fickleness. Think about it. They, they had spent three years of intense fellowship, witnessing the miracles, one-on-one -on -one instruction. He may have had some anxiety even in his own heart towards them because they were so far from him as I'm sure he may have an anxiety in his heart about you and I who have been saved for maybe 10 years or 15 years or 20 years, and yet we are still fickle, prideful, arrogant, jealous, and he still, he still washed their feet because he loved them and wanted to serve them. Love is the self-sacrificing care commitment it so shows itself by seeking the highest good of the one love. Excuse me. Now, I want to be intentional here. I want you to, I'm going to give you a little quiz. <clears throat> Don't try to write these, write these questions down. Just write true or false. And then keep track of that because we're going to take your score and figure out where you're at. 
first question, true or false, this is, this is a uh, priority quiz. When my wife phones, I almost always make time to talk. True or false? Now, wives, make sure your husband's writing this down. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Hand it to him. Number two, if I'm with my wife and someone else phones, I usually don't take it. True or false? Number three, I have at least one personal and meaningful discussion with my wife per week, 25 minutes or more. True or false? Now, I use the word discussion rather than conversation because this discussion means you're, you're, you're talking back and forth. There's a give and take. There's, there's opinions, there's ideas, there's thinking that's going on here. So at least one personal, meaningful discussion with my wife per week. Number four, when something significant happens in my life, I almost always share it with my wife first. True or false? Number five, my wife and I spend significant time alone together at least once a week. If you have a family, that may be a challenge, but you've got to make a date. True or false? Number six, when I walk into the house, the first thing I usually do is greet my wife. True or false? Seven, I spend more time interacting with my wife than I do watching TV. True or false? Number eight, I almost always recognize in a significant way my wife's birthday, anniversary, and other special days. True or false? Nine, I have photographs of my wife in my office, wallet, or gym locker. True or false? Number 10, I do unnecessary thoughtful things for my wife. I'm spontaneous about it. True or false? If you answer true to only one to four of those, Oops. If you answer true to five to seven, you're being intentional, but you're only average. If you answer true to eight to ten of those, congratulations. Don't stop now. This is a priority quiz. This is a love meter, the love factor, that sacrificial love that the father say, uh, showed to the church, that the husband showed his wife. The second one is sanctifying love, verse 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now notice there's emphasis here. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. First of all, the, the, the definition of sanctification really has two concepts. First of all, to set apart from sin unto God. To be set apart from sin unto a holy God, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Jesus Christ died on the cross one time. And through that salvation, one time, I have been, I have been positionally sanctification. This is often referred to as positional sanctification, which is basically salvation. When I trust Christ as my own personal Savior, I am saved. And my position, because of Christ, is settled. It's fixed. It's a done deal. Even as Christ said on the cross, one of the last words he said was what? It is finished. And that word finished means finality. There's nothing you can add to it. It's Jesus Christ plus nothing. 
So the, first of all, is to set apart from sin unto holy God. This is called positional sanctification. The second concept is the one that we normally or usually talk about, is to set apart from evil unto holiness. So here I am in, my, in faith, and my position is absolutely secure in Christ. But am I growing as a believer? Am I growing as a Christian? Remember Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Why, why did Paul write that to the Philippians? Was he talking about salvation? No, he was talking about sanctification. He's talking about personal growth in Christ. This is what we call progressive sanctification, to be set apart from evil unto holiness. See, I've already been set apart from sin unto a holy God. Now I need to be growing, just like in Ephesians. We finished talking about uh, the last four or five Sundays about your walk. It talks about your progress, your growing in Christ. The first concept is positional sanctification, Hebrews 10. Uh, 10. The second concept is a set apart from evil unto holiness, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, where it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. He's not talking about positional sanctification. He's talking about progressive sanctification. He's talking about growing in Christ. This is God's will, that you grow in Christ. This is progressive sanctification. So the definition of sanctification, as he sets forth here, because he, as he says, that he might sanctify. So th- those are the two concepts, the definition of it. Means of sanctification is the word of God, that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. Now just think, positionally. In other words, positional sanctification. In John chapter 15, verse 3, Jesus is speaking to the disciples about salvation. This is what he says. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. He's talking to the disciples. He's saying to them about about positional sanctification, about their salvation. You are already clean because of the what? Word which I have spoken to you. So the washing of the word not only takes part in, in the positional sanctification, but it also is integrally involved in our progressive sanctification. John 17, 17. As Jesus is at the garden, he's praying. This is just before the soldiers march in with Judas to arrest him. He's he's praying for his disciples. He's praying for their spiritual growth. And this is what he says. Sanctify them, speaking to his disciples, by your truth, your word is true. Sanctify them. This is talking about progressive sanctification. This is upon, and he goes on, says later in that same prayer, he's talking about in my future disciples. He's talking about us. He's praying for those disciples that he has, and he's praying for those disciples that he's going to have, which is us. If you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you are a disciple, and he has prayed for you, he has prayed for me, that we would be sanctified by the truth, and his word is true. So how can I grow and mature in my faith in Jesus Christ? By being in the Word. He says that he may sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. Sanctifying, sanctifying love. So what does that mean? Spiritual leadership reality check. Okay, ready for this. Husbands? When's the, when's the last time you took the initiative to read the Bible and pray with your wife? That's sanctifying love. 
If this is if, if this is that important to Paul for Paul to record to us, if this is that important for Jesus to pray that we be sanctified through his word, then it is doubly important that we as husbands would demonstrate sanctifying love towards our wives. And how can we do that? When's the last time you took the initiative to read the Bible and pray with your wife? Only you can answer that question. The third one. Support of love. There in verse 28 to 30. There's a verse 28. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's a First of all, there's a personal responsibility. You and I, as husbands, we have a responsibility. The second thing found in verse 9, there's a personal care. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Listen, I do, I, there's no way that I'm going to go out and take a hammer and hit my toe. I'm not going to take a nail and drive it through my hand. Why is that? I'm going to take care of my own body. I'm not going to abuse it. But yet, how do we act towards our wives? Oh, well, pastor, I never took a hammer to my wife. Well, I never did either. But that didn't mean you didn't abuse her or rude to her. And now I want you to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. There's three commands of supportive love in this, in this verse. First of all, first command, be considerate. Dwell with them with understanding. This is to treat your wife with an understanding, in an understanding way, is to treat her with sensitivity and consideration. Be considerate. To treat her with sensitivity and consideration. That's not my nature. Not just because I'm selfish, it's just not my nature. But yet this is a command. Be considerate. Work at it. Secondly, be chivalrous. Chivalrous. I can't even pronounce it, but you know what I mean. <laughs> Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. To honor your wife is to be kind, gentle, courteous, thoughtful. Be respectful. Giving honor to the wife as being heirs together of the grace of life. To honor your wife is to respect her feelings, her thinkings, and her desires. Be considerate. Be chivalrous. Be respectful, supportive love. The husband that gives his wife consideration, chivalry, and respect contributes to the beauty and strength of his marriage and gives an invaluable example and legacy to his children. The greatest message that you can communicate to your children, husbands, is that they know that you love your wife. The greatest example you can give is that you love your wife. They don't, you don't have to tell them. They know it. They see it. They observe it. That support of love. The husband that gives his wife consideration, chivalry, and respect contributes to the beauty and strength of his marriage and gives an invaluable example and legacy to his children. By the way, if you're concerned about your wife submitting to you, why don't you just love her? The last one found there in verse 31 is steadfast love. This verse is first written in Genesis 2.24. When God established marriage, 
This is, these are the words he wrote. This verse is used again by Christ uh, in Matthew chapter 19 when he talks about, he confirms the, the institution of marriage itself. And then Paul confirms the teaching of Christ. Verse 31, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. There's two concepts. One, or first, there's permanence. There's leaving to love and care for parents, but no longer under their control. Many times when you see marriages, sometimes the parents have hard time of just taking their hands off and letting them establish their own marriage. And sometimes it's one or both of the, uh, the couple the, that are married have a hard time of backing off and not keep reaching back to the home. But this is a leaving. It doesn't mean you love your parents less. less. It's just that you love your spouse more. To love and care for parents, but no longer under their control. The cleaving, just to be glued, to cemented together. This is, talks of that permanence. This is, there's nothing to break that bond. Uh, and weaving, this is to have an intimate and loving union. There's the, cle- the leaving, cleaving, and weaving. It's easy to remember. This is the oneness principle. The permanence of it. We're living in a day and age when there's more than looking for the permanence of it, they're looking for the excuse to get out of it. When the Word of God plainly and consistently teaches the permanence of the marriage relationship. And perseverance. Work at it. When two hearts beat as one. One of the the commentaries I looked at explained it that way. Do your hearts really beat as one? The same goals, same dreams, same concerns. Same prayer requests to submit themselves to, to God and to the Lord and allow Him to work and minister. Your hearts beat as one. Well, let me end with the steadfast love meter. Uh, by the way, uh, if you're some of these things I, in the message today, I got from a, a marriagemax.com. If you're interested in getting some of these things marriagemax.com was helpful in some areas and other areas it's like anything some things you agree with some things you're not sure about but uh, several of the things i pulled off marriagemax.com steadfast love i'll read through this because it's a little bit hard to see i think list nine decisions you're responsible responsible to make on a regular basis like vacation children's schooling investments, insurance, holiday plans, work-related decisions, etc. I think you kind of get the idea. If you would come through to think of nine of those things. Then, rank the extent to which you include your spouse, your wife, in those decisions. Zero, none, or maybe a little. This is where you'd put a one by it, beside it. Or if you did it a lot, you'd put a two. Which brings us to the assessment scale. Watch. If your numbers only add up to nine or less than nine, ouch. You're not communicating very well. Your steadfast love is in jeopardy. If you answered, if your total comes up to 10 to 14, you're under construction. Hey, at least you're building something. At least you're working at it. 15 to 18, sweet. Sweet fellowship. You, you accomplished some great things. 
that steadfast love. Sacrificial love, sanctifying love, supportive love, and steadfast love. To some extent, we're all under construction. And thank God, thank God, just like with his disciples, he hasn't given up on us yet. Heads bowed and eyes closed as we go to prayer. If you're here this morning, and I've, I, the message has been to believers, but nonetheless, I've made an application here. Do, do you know Christ as your personal Savior? Are you saved? Have you experienced the love of God through Christ? If you say, no, I have not, would you like to? Would you like to have someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved? Even this morning? And again, I would not embarrass you, not draw attention to you. All you need to do is come up to me after the service, and I'll have one, someone show you from the Word of God how you can be saved. Is anyone like that? Secondly, say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. And, and again, maybe some of you wives sat there and realized there's some things you need to work on, and that's good. But I'm speaking specifically to husbands. You say, Pastor Ken, just pray for me. That I'll be a better husband, better father. Is anyone? I, I see some heads nodding. And you don't have to raise your hand. I understand. This is, this is something you need to talk to with your wife. You need to talk to with God. Father, we thank you, God, for your, your working. We thank you for your message. Oh, God, I pray that indeed that we will be a picture of that relationship between God, Jesus Christ, and his church, his bride. In Jesus' name we pray.